Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jo. And I'm Jerry. And thank you for continuing to listen to Helpful Social Work. Um, in fact, in last month, which was March 2020, we had the highest number of downloads ever. Um, I have to say I'm really impressed that in the midst of all the things that are going on, people are still curious and learning and connecting into things that are happening in their profession. Um, so hopefully this podcast will also be valuable to people. And you can tell us what you think by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com or by commenting on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast. And uh, this is our second podcast of Series 5. It's recorded in April 2020, and it'll come out later this month. Our first podcast of the month was about the ingredients of a great social worker, and it'll be followed by podcasts about what makes good social work using the domains of the Professional Capabilities Framework. So we said that we would... Um, do a second podcast in the month if there was something that had come up that would be valuable. So here we are. Yeah, and we thought that we could talk about the ethical guidance from BASWA for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and secondly, we thought it might be helpful to share examples of great social work and inspire people. And I think that's a great idea, Jerry. I've just been um, lucky enough to be talking with lots of social workers over the last week or so. And there's some really great stories out there. Yeah, so talking about some of the practice that's going on um, and some of the ways that some of the things we're drawing on from our kind of repertoire of of social work capabilities and ethics um, will hopefully be be helpful. And the ethical guidance we're hoping will help kind of anchor us a bit with the uncertainty about what's happening. Just to kind of talk about where that's come from. So there's lots of ethical discussion and consideration and reflection happening right now. Um, governments are putting out ethical guidance. So, for example, in England, there's been guidance from the Department of Health and Social Care about principles of decision making within social care. Um, employers are also thinking about ethics. Um, so, again, in England, an example is Children and Families Network of Principal Social Workers putting out some specific guidance around risk assessment and decision making for children and families. Mm, um, that's but, been really helpful. Yeah. Um, the the Professional Association BASWA has a kind of particular responsibility because there is a global set of ethics for social work and in the UK that's held by BASWA as the association that's the member of International Federation of Social Workers and that code of ethics um, kind of holds good in all situations. That's the, the three areas of promoting human rights and um, up, upholding social justice and maintaining our professional integrity. But of course, when we hit um, particular situations, particular contexts, there are um, then the, then we need to reflect on how what that means in this context and how we put that into practice here. So the ethical guidance for social work in the COVID-19 pandemic was created by BASWA um, by the Policy Ethics and Human Rights Group, um, which is a group of social work members and had input from different members in different roles. And it kind of sits. Um, in the second level above the foundation of the code of ethics um, and what it can then do is help to inform kind of our particular areas of practice. 
Yeah, it's 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 good that this has come out. The guidance is for everyone, um, social workers in practice, social workers in management, leadership roles, student social workers, social work lecturers and researchers, and social workers who are not currently in practice, whether they're on a career break or retirement, or someone like me, actually, Jerry, who is a social worker but runs a social work learning company. You know, um, all of us are covered by this, and I think that's so helpful. Um, and in this guidance, when we use the term social worker, we use it to be inclusive of all colleagues. Yeah, it really does recognise that whatever's, whatever you're doing, um, wherever you are, you're still a social worker. Um, and so there's considerations for how we respond as social work human beings. Absolutely. And it starts by um, acknowledging the ethical impact of COVID-19. Um, and I'm just going to read this out because it's a, a really helpful starting point, I think. COVID-19 is a threat to every person and community in the United Kingdom. All are at risk. But because of social, demographic and economic factors, the most vulnerable individuals and communities, in other words, people that we most often work with as social workers are potentially at particular risk. And I just think that this is kind of, we've got to carry this on our heart the whole time we're working. You know, for example, homeless people, people living in poverty, people at risk of violence at home, uh, children who are experiencing neglect. This population is at particular risk at the moment. Um, and the guidance then goes on to say that the aim is to help social workers respond to the very specific circumstances generated by COVID-19, which disrupts health, care, safeguarding and support services. You know, it's really disrupting every area of social work practice. You know, practitioners are working in emergency situations and may face choices and decisions that go far beyond the bound of usual ethic and practices, including rationing of support and resources and more stringent prioritisation. You know, it's so clear about what the impact is we're seeing on the front line, and it's really important to have um, a document that helps us think our way through that. And lastly, for me, you know, it acknowledges that it's a shared responsibility, and I think that that's critical as well. You know, it's important to remember that an ethical response by social work to dealing with COVID-19 is not only about the decisions or actions taken by individual social workers, social work employers, other professionals, the government of the four countries and the regulators have ethical responsibilities too. I think that this is a really key point. One of the things that's been happening with the social workers that I've been working with is that they're almost forgetting they're part of a team because of the weight of the responsibility on them. And so being able to remind them um, and giving them a document to anchor themselves in is, is really helpful. Yeah, and that's one of the things um, that that kind of calls back to that universality of it. I mean, we were talking just before we recorded this podcast, weren't we, about the um, the, the the extra uh, weight that seems to rest on everybody's roles. So whatever it is that you normally do, um, personally, professionally, all your relationships, all those things, all of those things just carry a bit more significance and feel a bit more weighty. Um, and so the other thing that this guidance does at the start is it acknowledges that social workers face really different challenges and situations and struggles and 
um, that you know, we're a really diverse group, that there, there are all kinds of challenges that individuals might face, um, which might be personal health concerns, caring responsibilities, financial worries, all these things that might impact on our capability to offer support to others. So although we carry an ethical responsibility, we also need support ourselves. So being aware of our own care needs and worries and seeking help to look after ourselves is really crucial. And kindness to self and others is sort of at the heart of um, of, a, of an ethical and sustained response. So all of this happens collectively, um, first of all, collectively as a social work group, um, but also collectively with everyone else, um, all our normal partners and allies and people that we work with, but also the the kind of community and society as a whole. Um, and so it's not down to each person to feel that everything rests on them. Um, it is hard to uphold ethical standards. So the guidance isn't asking you to be superhuman. It's asking you to um, strive to apply ethical considerations and support each other to do that. Mm. And I think this is, um, for me, a, a really practical example of this is the work that we're doing with some of our local authorities where they have commissioned us to um, offer a coaching service for their social workers. And this is an opportunity for social workers just to come and talk to somebody about how they're managing their cases, how they're understanding the requirements on them, their own worries, their own fears, um, anything really that they want to bring to us, actually. Um, and the authorities that have commissioned that with us have done that understanding that in these times, kindness to self and others will be crucial for well-being and morale. Um, and so hats off to authorities that are thinking that way about their staff as well. I think that's really great. So there's, there's two sort of sets of responsibilities that the ethical guidance talks about. Um, social workers as members of community and then social workers in practice. Yeah, so the guidance covers our responsibilities of members of the community. Um, and for us, it's about think about how we can follow that guidance, yeah. considering how we could help our neighbours financially or by volunteering. Um, to support. Lots of people are doing that, aren't they? Um, so I think that there is a lot of desire for people to do well. And um, a social work, one of my consultants was talking to me this morning about the fact that they have um, a kind of cobbled street, really, and that whole street has taken on responsibility for each other. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of collective one person goes down to the shop to get things, um, one person checks on the old older person and this kind of thing. So there's been a real mobilising of of that community. I think that that's been a, a good thing to see. And um, it's been done by a social worker who is a community worker. So he's just naturally done it in his own mm. local area as well. I think that's right. And I think the within the bounds of the public health guidance that we're following, there are lots of different ways of connecting and supporting our communities. And the kind of second phase of that really is the recognition that some communities have a kind of wealth of social capital, whereas other communities mm. are really starved of it. So how we then um, connect up, and you can see that starting to happen as well, where, for example, there's um, national organisations that oversee food banks, where they're working to kind of make sure that things go to the right place. Um, mm. Everywhere's got a need, but the need's not um, 
quite the same in each place. You know, there's different levels of that. Um, and there's lots of ways through charities and voluntary organisations to kind of help spread support across the country. And the last thing is, um, and I know this is something we've certainly talked about in our team, is can we go back into practice if that's something that's feasible? Where can we as social workers do do the best good um, professionally and ethically during these times? Um, and I know that for me, for my company, that is about us offering this coaching service at this moment in time. But as things change, it might look different again. Yeah, and I and lots of colleagues that I know have signed up to the return um, uh, plan through the Social Work England regulator. It's different in the four different nations in the UK. It's different in every country. Um, but with within England, you can sign up um, to make yourself known. You give some information about your current role and experience, and you can also specify which area of the country you would work in and whether you would work face-to-face -face or remote or both. So there's also that um, recognition that some people want to offer services, social work support, but actually will be in the population who, who need to shield or need to be at home for whatever reason. Absolutely. There's all sorts of different ways, actually, that social workers can um, offer support. And it and it's not always going to be going back into practice, as you say. It's It's got to be the best decision you can make at the time. Yeah, and then the guidance goes on to talk about social workers' responsibilities within practice, i.e. offering direct support to people. Um, and the main mm. point here is that our ethics don't change because we're in a um, more uncertain and more difficult situation. It just may be that we have to think them through in a more kind of pronounced way. Um, so social workers deal with ethical dilemmas and moral decisions all the time. The same principles apply. Um, and the same approaches of building relationships and understanding situations and responding in a person-centered way. Um, and the, it, really the kind of the thing that it brings to the fore is the principles of prioritizing need and managing risk. Um, mm. And the, the guidance also kind of really acknowledges that we have to have support, you know, those expectations on us to manage that moral, those moral dilemmas, make those good judgments about priority of need and um, risk management within the context of a human rights framework that carries with it the need for social workers to be supported so that we can manage the risk mm. to ourselves and others mm. um, and so that we can manage the emotional impact of the work as well um, and mm. that includes um, there's been a lot of debate about this but that includes things like having the as always having the right tools for the job and in this case that's particular kinds of equipment um, particular kinds of um, processes and support in place to manage hygiene and minimize infection risk. Yeah, I, th I think this is really important, Jerry. This is certainly something that we're coming across all the time. Um, and I guess the first thing I would say is that, you know, in children's services, we've been asked to do um, a RAG rating. So in other words, kind of highlight which are our most at risk of most vulnerable families through to which are our children who are um, most in most stable and secure um, living arrangements that they can be. And that's being done quite quickly on, on many, many families. And it's, it's not always easy to do. Um, 
And so, you know, the guidance that's out there about decision making and understanding risks and understanding the additional risks of COVID-19, because for some of our families, um, school was something that was really supporting and helping them to manage the difficulties and distress within their families. Um, and that that's sometimes not the option it was before, sometimes because families don't want their children to go to school because they feel their children are too vulnerable or sometimes because they're not able to get them there. There's there's many different reasons, but that kind of that system has been disrupted for our families and then our, then our families have been locked down together. Um, and so COVID-19 itself brings additional risks to some of the children we're working with. Um, and another thing that we've come across is families not wanting social workers to go in because they feel that social workers are super carriers, so going from place to place and making them more vulnerable. And how social workers understand that story and sit it alongside their worry for the child has been really interesting because for some practitioners, that story has felt like a reason to keep them at a distance and make the children more unsafe. And for other practitioners, it has felt more like a legitimate issue that they've had to work through with the family. And and I think that, you know, depending on what your mindset is and what your relationship is um, with your families and what you've understood beforehand informs how you respond mm. to that type of pushback. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's right. And the same, um, the same sorts of situations apply, obviously, to ad- social work with adults around but not you know, recognition and understanding of, of who's at most at risk, not just because of the direct impact of COVID-19, but also the contextual impact, um, which might be around mental health challenges or um, isolation challenges or just genuine worry or people who, who are living with conditions which um, put them at higher risk or that um, mean that their support is more vital. Um, and and the kind of response to that of, of practitioners really focusing in on the the law and the human rights um, and how to uphold those and that um, emphasis that's always there on co-production and relational practice and um, person-centred work you know, and trying to make sure that people are really involved and communicated with recognising that loads of barriers to that um, but trying to sort of find creative ways to ensure that people um, still maintain some control. Um, Yes, this is very important, and it's particularly important for some of our our groups of people who actually don't have the types of equipment that many of us take for granted. So FaceTime and WhatsApping and all of these things, they're not not things that every family is able to access. Um, And so this virtual way of working does have its challenges. Um, and so some of the, the great things that I've been hearing about is um, I think Essex, for example, um, helping people get smartphones and helping people have um, money for keeping their smartphones topped up so that they can actually have FaceTime and have virtual tours and all these kinds of things that can happen that can keep a family feeling safe in isolation but can also keep um, – uh, relationship between them and um, the social worker at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So this um, this ethical guidance from Baswa, because um, it sits at that sort of kind of um, 
second tier. So you've got the foundation of the code of ethics and then this guidance. This guidance talks about principles rather than specific um, mm. practice um, guidance. But there is also practice guidance that's coming out. Um, so Baz was done work around home visits and um, connections with children and families. Um, there were other things that were set at that kind of level, like some of the work that the Children and Families Principal Social Work Network are doing. Um, mm. But at the level of the kind of general ethics, the, the, the ethical principles that are kind of brought forward are being purposeful, upholding human rights, acting as an advocate, being informed yourself, being accountable um, through your supervision and your recording, um, mm. using your critical reflection to do good risk assessments and acting as a um, peer supporter to others um, and the other thing yeah. that's, sorry the other thing that's in there which is um, a particular element is, is what you were talking about about the recognition of those people who may particularly struggle with the changes in practice so that includes people who might reject professional or official attention often for like historically good reasons so mm. we've got this um, this balance always in social work of um, empowering and coercive elements that are possible within what we do and in a in a crisis situation like a pandemic um lots of coercive things come out yeah we all have to stay home don't we <laughs> that's really um that's a really big shift in the, in the culture of the country and so there's also this need for social workers to resist moving to coercive responses if people aren't cooperating and understanding like you were saying you know the reasons why a family might not feel safe to engage with a social worker or an adult or an older person might push back um mm. yeah we need to we need to stay curious don't we um even in this context and and not kind of be panicked into being more certain than we were before because one of the great things about social work practice is um our ability to tolerate and work with uncertainty and maintain our curiosity um, in difficult times. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be really challenged now when people really want, they want the answer, don't they? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so it's about how do we use those um, ethical principles for managing our work, particularly seeking supervision and support, um, you know, using critical thinking in our risk assessments and maintaining that um, ability to be uncertain even through these times and be comfortable with that. Um, and that's about triangulating your evidence and, and, as you say, staying in a good relationship with the people you're working with um, and taking their side of the story on and evaluating it fairly. Yeah. So I suppose what I would want... Um to kind of propose to, or encourage people to do is to to go to the baswa.co.uk website have a look at the coronavirus page check out the ethical guidance um, and think about where you where you are as a social worker in terms of your um, personal and professional life and then with that kind of message of kind of being kind to yourself and others really think about um, the recognition and the um, the kind of appreciation of what you are already doing um, mm. as a citizen, as a as a um, 
relate you know in relation to all the people that you care about and and within whatever roles you might have or any, any activities or occupation you're doing um and that includes those people who are staying at home um and then think about actually what what are you offering to other people and um and i think this needs to i think this from the strength-based approach um i think that recognition and appreciation of of or who you as a social worker are and what you what you are already offering is really important um mm. and then you know by all means use the the ethical guidance to think about well where do i go from here what can anchor me um but i you know what i see everywhere is social workers doing great things for their communities and their families and their loved ones and their um and the people that that need social work support yeah, there's been some really lovely examples, hasn't there, Jerry? Come out for for both of us um, in talking to social workers, and I know that for us, um, there's been examples of, um, you know, arranging um, the walk in the park, having their walk in the park, so that they can keep social distancing, but they can actually just be in a space where they can just observe and see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 see the child interacting with their parents um in that positive was a was a nice idea and it was possible in in that family situation um also been talks about how how to um let a child know that you're going to be wearing protective gear and what that looks like and that you're still the same person underneath um and so getting a foster carer to show to show the child um, a picture of you in your protective gear and talk them through so that when you came in, it uh, wasn't distressing. Um, so there's been lots of kind of creative ways that social workers are thinking about relational and a kind of physical mm. appropriate contact. Yeah, and there's great examples, um, again, with adults and older people of um, supporting virtual connections, maybe in care homes, um, mm. you know, having ways of communicating with people um, and actually there was a really nice um, example of a tra- transition team sending out a kind of lockdown uh, pa- package of goodies to all the all the young people that they were supporting mm. so there's definitely ways of keeping our ethics like blazingly alive in these situations and at the same time ensuring that we're understanding the risk to all families that we're understanding the risk to ourselves and that we're re- continuing to relate to people whether that's either physically or or um without the face-to-face visits actually actually doing it virtually so there's a couple of reflective questions um which are how do i balance my own rights and the rights of others and who helps me sustain my ethics it, it's not accurate to say that this is a disease of equality and that all people who fall ill will feel the same effects, and that's going right back up to the start of the ethical guidance. Uh, I just think as social workers we really need to understand the limitations on our client base to keep themselves safe and well, um, and particularly our black and minority ethnic populations because there's some work coming out from uh, the US and I think there's some stuff that's been on the BBC this morning here that is saying that um, some of those populations may well be more adversely affected. And I know it's early days, and we, but we need to keep an eye on that kind of research. 
And for me, that all comes to that reflective question, how do I balance my own rights and rights of others? For us in social work, we need to be more vigilant than normal about the rights of others. I think we need to be more curious and more vigilant in a time when our own rights are feeling squeezed and we're feeling uncomfortable ourselves. And, you know, when you feel uncomfortable yourself, you, you tend to become preoccupied and that preoccupation can lead to a kind of a dullness of awareness of others. So there's a real challenge for us as professionals to to kind of really try to think about the lived lives of other people. And, and I know that I, I see that every day um, with social workers that I'm talking to, that they're, they're working so hard to do that. There's an awful lot of, um, of potential impact and it's disproportionate, you know, it's, it's, it's unequal. Um, mm. So that, again, that um, I completely echo what you say about the the need for us to be really, really aware as social workers, but also that second question of how, you know, who helps us sustain our ethics? Because this is, um, this is tiring, distressing work, maintaining mm. a strong ethical stance when there's so many dilemmas and so much conflict. And we would expect to see social workers experiencing a lot of moral distress when yep. they want to do something and it's you know, what they're able to do is limited. So, Mm. seeking support and having support for that is going to be really crucial. 